Good morning, good Love morning, good morning out there in off-the-shelf off the block, talk radio land. I'm actually, you know, as soon as it, it, things get crazy, don't they get crazy? I'm trying to do one simple thing. I'll have to do it over. But I want to welcome all of you to Off the Shelf this morning. I'm waiting on our guests to dial in and join us. But again, welcome to this Saturday morning. It's kind of cloudy here in Tennessee, but want to thank you for being here. And I want to drop this thought with you as we kick off today's awesome off-the-shelf show. And the thought for the day is the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. That makes such good sense, doesn't it? But a lot of times we want magic. We want something magical to happen. Tell me what magical thing I can say. What magical thing can I eat? What magical thing can I think about? And it all just magically happened. Do you have a magical center I can go to and all my life just magically come together? But it's not magic. The best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. And that's by H. Jackson Brown, Jr., that's for everything we do. You do uh, you do really, really well now. You're setting yourself up for success going forward, and you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And that, maybe that's why we give up. We get exasperated. Like, I have to keep doing it over and over? Yes, you have to do it over and over. But those of you who have been here coming in, tuning in to Off the Shelf Radio, for 14 years, it's hard for me to even believe that we have been on the air now for 14 years. But thank you to our listeners who have been with us for 14 years. And But for those, it's your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf. I want to tell you that you are listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio. And welcome to our Saturday, September 28th. We are in autumn, you guys. We are already in autumn, and it is the coming down to the very end of 2019. How close are you to fulfilling your goals? You know, when something starts out, it's so easy to be super, super excited at the start of a thing. But it's hard, just like the quote said, to keep doing good over and over and over it can feel draining and tiring at times. Like, is the work ever really going to pay off? But how how good how close are you at fulfilling your goals? The the ones you set off to make when the year was fresh and new, and everything felt young, and there's just so much goodness out in front of you. How how close are you to fulfilling your goals? Do you need to make some changes now to step it up? so that you can make sure that when the year ends, you will have done exactly what it was you set out to do. So you'll be pleased and happy and excited with yourself. I encourage you to make those changes, to start making those changes today. And I'm going to actually reach out to our guest again uh, just to remind our guest, I don't know what happened, that please dial in to the show now. But for those who, uh, this is your first time tuning in off the shelf. The same applies. Uh, think about what what is it that you really want to do? Do you need to make some changes to to get to where you want to be at the end of the year, or some changes you want in the next few few weeks? 
or change you want to make in a couple of years. It's going to take steps, steps, steps to get there. So I encourage you again to start on that journey. For those, it's your first time tuning in Off the Shelf, and I'm telling you this is something that I've had to do here on the show a couple of times when a guest didn't dial in either on time. Uh, we had one guest, her, her tires blew out, or other things happened. There could be technology, what a guest is. I have learned one thing doing radio for 14 years. I better have a backup plan. I better have a way to just step in and do something right away that I had never thought I'd have to do. So this is another tip I would tell you as you go after your goals and the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. Be flexible because it's not all going to go the way you planned it. I don't care how much work you put into it. It's not going to all go the way you planned it. And you're going to have some surprises, some some huge surprises along the way. So you have to be ready to keep it keep it moving without being angry. You go that 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 is very important. I've learned that doing off the shelf. I sent our guest a message to dial in to the show. Not sure where she is, not sure what's going on. Anything anything could be happening right now. So just waiting for our guest. But for those who it's your first time tuning in to off the shelf, I certainly would have hoped we had a little better start to the show. Because uh, we usually just introduce the show and go right into the questions, but I will do something else if I need to for today. Um, but I want to thank you, our first-time guest, for dialing in to Off the Shelf. Really excited and happy to have you here with us, uh, joining us on Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio for the first time. And we've had so many different guests on our show. We've had... New York Times best-selling authors on our show, and we've had movie producers on and people who you see regularly in the media on. And every show, somebody drops a tip, something valuable uh, here, here on the show that always blesses me, and it's a shocking after 14 years of that. But I also want to ask a question that I ask on the show, and I've been asking it for a while, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? How good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life? If you do, I encourage you. Are you a good mystery sleuth? Are you one that's kind of like that Columbo person? You, you, you're just that good. You're just that good. I encourage you. I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Off the Shelf. And I'm actually, I think there's something wrong with the blog talk radio where it's having trouble dialing into the show. Um, but hopefully our listeners are able to get in, if not now, later. If not, I might have to reschedule the show. Ho- hopefully not, because we do have some some callers on the line. But back to what I was saying and being flexible, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can discover who's responsible for a murder mystery? Raymond Clark, he is uh, his father has untreated alcoholism, so people whose parents may have this disease might really be able to relate to him. Um, but he has a very 
he's a very good runner. He actually is on his way to the Olympics later in the book. I don't want to give too much of the story away. But that's just to give you a clue of how talented uh, Raymond is. But his father has untreated alcoholism. But his father is also extremely important in, in his life. Of course, all, all fathers are, all parents are. But Raymond's mother walked off and left him when he was just a baby. So he needs his dad. I mean, he desperately needs his father. So, But his father has untreated alcoholism. And anybody who's ever lived around a parent who has that knows how brutal that disease can be. And, and untreated, even if it's treated, it's brutal, but untreated is even that much more worse. So he, he, I don't want to get a story away, but he goes off to college, and he's not even there a week when he witnesses something. And what he witnesses is like any of us. You see something, and I was just reading something yesterday, and it talks about willful blindness. You see something and you don't act on it. You see somebody being attacked. You see, you know a child being abused. You never report it. It's like willful blindness. That That is, in a, in a court of law, some courts, you could be held responsible for that. You did know, but you didn't take any action on it. So he witnesses something, and I'm, he's willful blindness. I don't want to get involved. But then he meets a friend. He meets a friend who is involved. And he, he makes a friend after he gets comes to college. This guy is involved in what's going on. So Raymond is involved without knowing how involved he's going to be because of a friend he made. So his willful blindness does not protect him from what is going on. If you if you want to know his friend him, what is their real role in this murder mystery? Is something you, you you think you can figure out before it's revealed in the book, then I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. Next question I want to ask you is how much do you value love, relationships, and love? How long would you wait to experience a once-in-a-lifetime love? It, it, would you say, you know, if something doesn't happen in the next, I don't know, few months, or some people like, I'll give you a couple of years. If something doesn't happen, then our relationship is over. How long would you wait to experience the love of a lifetime? I mean, this is the person you're supposed to be with. But we all have our issues. We got to work through our, our, our we got to take our internal journeys and work through our childhood issues until we can get to where we can have a happy, loving, sustainable relationship with somebody. Would you would you keep going with someone or would you give up on them? I mean, this is a chance in a lifetime. If you want to see what happens to Raymond and a woman he meets at college, so much in his life kicks off when he goes to college, as, as do many people, whether it's college or high school or work, somewhere where you, you go into a different environment and – all of a sudden all these other changes happen. You change your environment, and all these changes kick off. So this is what happens when Raymond goes to college. But he meets Brenda, and she is she's his soulmate, but she's working through things, and so is he. You can you can watch them go through their their journey, and it might might remind you of some things about yourself in your own life as you journey 
But do you think it's worth it to wait for a once-in-a-lifetime love if you do have to work through your own inner things and this other person had to work through their own inner things before you can be together? Do you think it's worth it? So that's the question. And if you do, if you value relationships, do you think it would be worth it even to to work on a relationship with your parent until that relationship worked out? And 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 you and as you work through that relationship, you get a clearing, and you can enjoy a love of a lifetime. Is it worth it to you, or would you say, Nah, I'm not putting in that much work. I'm not putting in that much work even to reach true authentic love. I just I'm not putting in that much. I'll put in a year's worth and then I'm done. If it doesn't happen in a year, I'm done. If if you're one of those who I will do whatever it takes to truly learn to love myself at all times, even if it takes me 30 years, I'm going to do it. Because once I get there as an eternal being, I'm there. As an eternal being, once I'm there, I'm there. So 30 years is absolutely worth it because I'm an eternal being. Once I get there, I don't have to repeat it. Once I'm there, I'm there. So whatever it takes, I'm up for it. If you value those types of things and you're that type of thinker, I really do encourage you to stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's an ebook format, and it's also in print. If you don't see it on the store shelves, just ask the clerk to order you a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And they can get you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And generally what happens, the bookstore will just call you and say, your book has come in, and then you can come and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. Still waiting for our guests to dial into today's show. Uh, I don't know if our guest is online or offline. I can tell you, I think that the show is having some technical issues which I will uh, blog talk radio. I mean, not so much the show, but maybe the platform. I don't know. But I will contact them and let them know that there may be some dialing in issues, which might be what's causing the guest to not be able to dial in. But I don't know because I was able to dial into the show. So in the interim, I am going to keep it moving, not going to reschedule. And with the guest, we can reschedule later. But for those of our listeners who are still with us, thank you. I'm going to actually, talking about Love Pour Over Me, I'm going to read some from Love Pour Over Me. And, again, I encourage you to get a copy. This wasn't today's plan at all. I research every show that comes on off the show. So it usually takes me about an hour to do the research for the show. So we did have a guest on deck. Uh, Reading from Love Pour Over Me was not on the agenda for today at all. I don't read from my books on the show unless I have to be flexible and come up with other ways to to keep the show going for our listeners, out of respect for our listeners, who to dial in to give them something. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit from Love Pour Over Me, and again, I encourage you to get a copy. Uh, you can get a copy of Love Pour Over Me in ebook or in print form. It's at ebookit.com, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, you name it. You can get it wherever books are sold. So Love Pour Over Me. Um, people, here's some th- some comments about love for over me. People say that love is enough, but is it really? Is some heartache too painful to recover from? 
And here's what some early readers had to say about Love Pour Over Me. Love Pour Over Me is a book that readers can relate to. It examines the human condition and splendidly shows how one can triumph over adversity. That's something we all need. With Love Pour Over Me, Denise Turney has done it again. Turney is a very talented writer who knows how to bring a story to life. And about the author of Love Pour Over Me, works by Denise Turney, international radio host and author of Love Pour Over Me, have appeared in periodicals such as Parade, Essence, Sisters in Style, Madame Noor, Obsidian 2, The Bucks County Carrier Times, Halogen TV, The College of New Jersey, Literary Review, Trend Times, and the Pittsburgh Quarterly. And, a, and something in Love Pour Over Me and to remember. And now these three remain, Faith, Hope, and Love. But the greatest of these is Love and of course. That is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And this this book, as all my writings are dedicated to my wonderful, beloved, awesome son, Gregory. So I'm just going to start a reading from Love Pour Over Me from section 1, chapter 1. It was Friday afternoon, June 15th, 1984. That's going back. That is going back. It seems so long ago. It was Friday afternoon, June 15th, 1984. Raymond Clark lay across his bed. An empty bowl of popcorn was on the floor, snacking did little to ease his excitement. Unless, unless, let me start over because I'm trying to do uh, something else while I'm doing this. It was Friday afternoon, June 15, 1984. Raymond Clark lay across his bed. An empty bowl of popcorn was on the floor, snacking the little to ease his excitement. In less than three hours, his year-round efforts to prove himself deserving of unwavering acclaim would be validated in front of hundreds of his classmates. Tonight was his high school graduation the day he had dreamed about for weeks. He knew his grades were high enough to earn him academic honors. Even more than his grades were his athletic achievements. He hadn't been beaten in a track race in three years. He won the state half mile and mile runs for the last six years since he was in middle school. People would cheer wildly for him tonight. The television was turned up loud. Carl Lewis's Carl Lewis threatens to break Bob Beeman's historic long jump record at the Olympic trials in Los Angeles this weekend, an ESPN sportscaster announced. Beeman's record is still for 16 years. Lewis, Raymond got so caught up in the mention of the upcoming Olympic Games that he didn't hear the front door open. Ray, his father, Malcolm, shouted as soon as he entered the house. What? Raymond leaped off his bed and hurried into the living room. Dad? What? Boy, if you don't get your jump. Raymond watched his father wave his hand over the sofa, the place where he'd thrown his sports bag as soon as he got home from graduation practice at school. Get this sports crap up, Malcolm growled. Silence filled the house. Raymond grabbed his sports bag, carried it into his bedroom, and tossed it across his bed. His father exited the living room and entered the kitchen. Like a dark shadow, frustrations from from spending 10 hours working at a drab automobile plant where he drilled leather seats into one Ford Mustang after another, while his line supervisor stood at his shoulder and barked, Focus, Malcolm, get your production up. Followed him there. It was in the furrow of his brow and in the pinch of his lip. Ray? Raymond cursed beneath his breath before he left his bedroom and hurried into the living room. Seconds later, he stood in the kitchen's open doorway. He watched his father toss an empty an envelope on the table. Ladder from Baker came in the mail. Something about you getting some awards when... 
He reached to the center of the kitchen table for a bottle of still fervor. He stopped hiding the alcohol when Raymond turned five. The alcohol looked like liquid gold. Felt that way to Malcolm, too. You graduate tonight. Malcolm took a long swig of the whiskey and squinted against the burn. He tried to laugh, but only coughed up spleen. You're probably the only kid in the whole school who got a letter like this. Everybody up at Baker knows nobody cares about you. Letter said they thought I'd want to let all your relatives know you're getting some awards so they'd come out and support you. Again, Malcolm worked at laughter, but instead coughed a dry, scratchy cough that went long and raw through his throat. We both know ain't nobody going to be there but me and your sorry ass. Don't mean nothing anyhow. They're just giving these diplomas and awards away nowadays. On his way out of the kitchen, bottle in hand, he shoved the ladder against Raymond's chest. Raymond listened to his father's footsteps go heavy up the back stairs while he stood alone in the kitchen. When the footsteps became a whisper, he looked down at the ladder. It was printed on good stationery, the kind Baker High School only used for special occasions. Didn't matter, though. Raymond took the ladder and ripped it once, twice, three times, over and over again, until it was only shreds of paper. Then he walked to the tall kitchen wastebasket next to the gas stove and dropped the bits inside. Ray! He froze. From the sound of his father's voice, he knew he was at the top of the stairs. Give me that ladder so I'll remember to go to your graduation tonight. Raymond twisted his mouth at the foulness of the request, the absolute absurdity of it. He didn't answer. Instead, he turned and walked back inside his bedroom. He grabbed his house keys and headed outside. The edge of the walkway, he heard his father shout, Ray! Raymond didn't turn around. He walked down the tree-lined sidewalk the way he'd learned to walk since kindergarten with his head down. He stepped over raised cracks in the worn sidewalk, turned away from boarded windows of two empty, dilapidated buildings, and told himself the neighborhood was just like his father, old, useless, unforgiving, and hard. A second-floor window back at the house went up. Malcolm stuck his head all the way out the window. Get your ass back here, he hollered down the street. Raymond sprang to his toes and started to run. His muscular arms and legs went back and forth through the cooling air like propellers, like they were devices he used to try to take off, leave the places in his life he wished had never been. It was what he was good at. All this running had earned him high honors in track and field. He was Ohio's top miler. He'd made Sports Illustrated four times since middle school. Ray, Joe, man, you better go back, Joey chuckled as Raymond slowed to a stop. Joey, a troubled 18-year-old neighbor who dropped out of school in the 10th grade, leaned across a Pontiac sunbird, waxing his head. You don't, your old man's going to beat your ass good. Ah, uh, cool, Ray's cool, Stanley, an equally troubled 21-year-old who pissed on school and failed to get a diploma, a man who couldn't read beyond the third grade level said. He stood next to Joey. His hands were shoved to the bottoms of his pants pockets. And we know the brother can run. Damn, we all can run, Stanley laughed. Ray, remember the night we ran away from that Texaco station? Our wallets all fat. Joey laughed. He talked so loudly, Raymond worried he'd be overheard. Thought we agreed to let that go, Raymond said. He looked hard at Joey. Then he looked hard at Stanley, and the ninth, nine-month-old deal was sealed. Another secret for Raymond to keep. One glance back at his father's house, and Raymond started running again. He ran past Gruder's, an old upholstery company, and Truder Albright, a small, worn convenience store, all the way to the Trotwood Recreation Center, six miles further into the city. Houses were larger in Trywood than they were in Dayton. Lawns filled with flowers that swayed in the wind. Neighborhoods were quieter, too. As a boy, when his father drove him through Trywood on the way to the Salem Mall, Raymond told himself that this is where his parents and he would have moved to and lived had his mother not fallen in love with another man. Has she stayed? 
Raymond sat in the bleachers at the recreation center watching an intramural basketball game for well over half an hour. Until he felt certain Malcolm had an rare respite, drunk himself into a modicum of civility. When he turned over his wrist and saw that it was 5 o'clock, he ran every step of the five miles back home. The living room was empty. Raymond heard a noise akin to the rise and fall of a buzzsaw. He frowned toward the stairs and mumbled, he's asleep. While he exited the living room and entered his bedroom. ESPN was still on. He went straight to his closet and pulled out his favorite pair of black nylon dress pants, a crisp white button-down shirt, and a and tie. And a tie. Fifteen minutes later, he was shower dressed and standing in front of his bedroom mirror. And I'm gonna pause there. I'm gonna read a few more minutes from Love Pour Over Me, and then, my dear friends. I am going to probably end the show early today because I haven't heard from our guests, and I think I'm wondering if the show is having technical dial-in issues. But we do have listeners on the line, so I'm going to continue to read flexibility, my friends. So he's standing in front of the mirror. His father was drunk. That he knew. It always went this way every night, like a religious habit. He spent his childhood watching his father drink half a bottle of whiskey every evening after he arrived home from work. When he was a little boy, he sat across from Malcolm at the kitchen table, swinging his legs back and forth like a pendulum clock, watching Malcolm turn a new shiny glass bottle up until it reached empty. He always brought a toy into the kitchen with him then, a race car or a plastic airplane. He pushed the toy back and forth across the table and sang out, boom, boom, but he never took his eyes off his father. It was a time gone like cement down into Raymond's psyche. But that was 10 years ago. Since then, Raymond had gotten into a few fistfights and had gone on more than a one stolen car joyride with the neighborhood boys he hoped would take him in as a good friend, but who never did. He dodged cops when they knocked on the door last spring. He just returned home from school. Mercy abounding, Malcolm was still at work. With their stiff blue caps squarely atop their heads, the cops questioned Raymond about the robbery at a nearby Texaco station, a wrong for Raymond burst out of a last-ditch effort to gain a neighborhood friend, but now a source of pain and regret. Raymond's academic and athletic reputations convinced the cops that he was innocent. His refusal to rat out Joey and Stanley kept them from going to prison for the third time in less than two years. Never mind that Joey and Stanley kicked his butt when he was a kid, until he bore new bruises, once not put there by Malcolm. Never mind the cops badgered him, pounding Malcolm's living room table and promising, Ray, if you tell us what part Joe and Stanley played in the heist, we'll make sure nothing happens to you and we'll go light on them. Raymond didn't tell. If not for him, Joey wouldn't be waxing his car hood right now. Stanley wouldn't be standing around trying to find something interesting to do. Despite the run-in with the law and Malcolm's drunken rages, verbal assaults that burst forth in an outright physical beatings, when Raymond reached puberty, Raymond had found a way to stay alive. He had made it to 17. He was running a brush across the top of his hair when the phone rang. Hello, Ray, Raymond Clark, speaking. The man laughed. Big night for you. Raymond placed the brush atop his dresser. Who is this? You'll come to recognize my voice soon enough, the man joked. Coach, Coach Carter, Coach Reginald Carter. Yes, wanted to call and congratulate you on the graduation tonight. Have a good time, son. Look forward to seeing you on campus and what? One, two weeks? Yeah, Raymond nodded. Soon. Congratulations again, Ray. You deserve it. Heard you did better than good this year. Heard you did great. Thanks. Raymond opened his hand and watched the receiver fall gently 
against his curly little bird squawked outside his window, and he stared across his room at nothing in particular. He couldn't count the number of calls he received from college track and field scouts over the last two years. He told his father about none of the calls. When Malcolm pushed and demanded, where are you going to school next year, boy? Malcolm, all, Raymond always told him what he wanted. He knew he wanted to hear. He always looked right at his father and told him, Ohio State. With the phone dead and, and Coach Carter's voice gone, Raymond returned to the living room and sat on the sofa in silence. The front door was open. Through the screen door, warm summer air carried the scent of fried pork chops, chicken, and hamburger from neighboring houses into the living room. Because Malcolm's kitchen table was bare and the refrigerator held only beer, wine coolers, a bowl of two-week-old broccoli, a pint of cottage cheese, and a celery stalk, Raymond served himself an evening meal through his nose. As if he could get full on the smell of food, he tilted his head back and inhaled in long, slow breaths. In the living room, the second hand on the battery-operated Ingram wall clock ticked and slid forward, ticked and slid forward. Soon Raymond had the phone in his hand again. Yo, Paul, he said to his high school track teammate, the one guy who gave him good athletic competition, someone he considered a real good friend. When are you leaving for the convention center? Five minutes, man. You know we have to be there an hour before the ceremony starts. I'm running late as it is. He paused. You need a ride? Can you swing by and get me on your way? My mom and dad are driving. I mean, man, please, help me out, he sighed. Even though I got my license a year ago, you know my dad's not going to let me drive his Camaro. Your pops ain't coming? Your homie, Raymond Beck. All right, all right. And so I'm going to skip a few pages. I'm on page, skipping from like page 7 to page 10. The chain lock was on the front door when Raymond got home that night. He jiggled the chain and tried to get it to slide open. When that didn't work, he walked to the back of the house and tried to open the rear door, the one leading to the backyard. He cursed as he realized a chain lock was on, on the back door as well. Then he looked for an opening. He was in luck. The kitchen window was ajar, just enough to allow him entry. He grunted and pushed up. The screen didn't even bang when it landed in the sink. He crawled through the window like a thief. So I am going to stop there. We're halfway through to off the shelf, and I'm actually stopped at the top of page 11, of love pour over me. That is just the very, very, very beginning of love pour over me. There is so much more that goes on in the next few pages and throughout the book. And again, when Raymond gets to college, and where does he go to college? You'll have to read to find out. But once he gets there, he witnesses a murder, and he tries to do the willful, willful blindness. I saw it, but I'm going to act like I didn't. I'm not going to call it in. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell nobody about it. I didn't do it. I don't know the people involved. Let me go on my merry way. <laughs> but can he can he continue to do that? Or does that willful blindness come back? Does it really pay? You know, and that's a reminder for all of us. When we see something or hear something, we need to take action. Because we, we were there to see or hear it for a reason. So we are involved because we were there to hear or see it for a reason. So we are involved. Because we were there to hear, see it for a reason. So his willful blindness, what does it cost him? And then there's Brenda, and you haven't met Brenda through the reading. She shows up later in the story. But I think you will love Brenda, and I will tell you that readers definitely love Raymond. Oh, they love Raymond. But he goes through a lot. So I encourage you to get a copy again of Love Pull For Me if you value the power of love and what it can move through. Whew. I encourage you. I encourage you to stop what you're doing. Get a copy of Love Pour Over Me, an ebook or in print copy. Ebookit.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, Walmart. There's so many ways to get Love 
for old me. Go get a copy. Treat yourself to a copy. And remember, you are awesome. You are amazing. You're incredible. Be flexible. If I taught anything today, other than reading from Love for Over Me, it was how to be flexible without be getting angry, without panicking. We can't control things. And if the guests would like to reschedule, we will reschedule. When I heard from a guest earlier in the week, she said, I am definitely on. So we may have to reschedule our guests, and I am so willing to do that and send up prayers and blessings to our guests and for each of you. But just remember, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're incredible. Love yourself at all times. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. We'll see you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. on Off the Shelf. Bye for now.